You're listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Happy belated Earth Day, right? <laughs> it was just on Friday, and uh, today we're starting a brand new series called God of All Things. We're speaking to the fact that we believe there is a God. We believe that he created and made everything, uh, that the earth is the Lord's. And, uh, and so throughout the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the various things in which God has made and how this points to him, how this points to uh, the way we're called to live and act and love. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting series. we got some very interesting things that we are going to go into uh, as we discover that God is creator. As we deserve, discover that God is maker, designer, architect of all the things that we see, we feel, we touch, taste, smell, and experience here in this world, in this life that we live. The Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, and then he proceeds to tell us all the various things that he made. And, and it covers everything. That he is the creator of all things. And in that day, in that time, as Moses was penning that letter... What he was trying to communicate to these Israelites who had just been in Egypt and they had heard about all the various gods of different things, the water, the sky, the sun. Uh, he was saying God is the maker. God is the maker of all of these things. And so today, what I'm hoping to do is that we're going to start with reading I would, what I would describe as one of the most beautiful psalms in all of the scripture. It's psalms, uh, Psalm 104. So if you want to turn there in your Bible... Turn to Psalm 104. Uh, we're going to be reading that, this scripture today. And it's just a beautiful picture of the fact that God is creator, that God is maker, that God made everything. And so I'm going to invite up my wife, Jessica. Uh, she's going to read this passage for us today. And, uh, and so in honor of God's word, one of the things we do here is we stand as we read the scriptures. So if you wouldn't mind standing, we'll read this together. Yeah, Absolutely. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. You make springs pour water into the ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide waters for all the animals, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home. You fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for. 
the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats, and the rocks form a refuge for the hyrexes. You made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to set. You send the darkness, and it becomes night, when all the forest animals prowl about. Then the young lions roar for their prey, stalking the food provided by God. At dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest. Then people go off to do their work, where they labor until evening. O Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along, and Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and again turn to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. Amen. You may be seated. What an incredible psalm we've just read together. Speaking to the, all that God has created. Such beautiful poetry, the author of this psalm writes, describing all of creation, our experience of it. So incredible. And if there's a big idea for this series that we're going to be talking about over these number of weeks here is this. It really is summarized in verse 24. Here's what it says. Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The God of all things. But it's curious, though, that as we view these incredible things around us, even as we are watching this video, or you see a magnificent sunset, or you're walking the trail, and you look at the trees, or you see incredible animals for the first time. I remember I was at the Calgary Zoo just a few weeks ago, and looking at lions and giraffes and all these kind of things, and thinking to myself, oh, I've seen that before. I need to go see the next animal. That we can lose some awe, we can lose some amazement, we can lose that sense that it feels like the psalmist was just so overwhelmed by the things that God had made that it just results in praise and worship and declaring who God is and what he's done. Look what he says in verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise God with my last breath. And he concludes, let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, he says. Why at times have we become so numb to the incredible gift of the things that God has given us? Maybe for you here today, it's possible. I recognize that some of you are inquiring, you are seeking, you are considering whether this is true, whether you want to believe it. And that's okay. This is actually a very safe space for inquiry. Uh, and so I want you to know if you're here, you're, you're not alone. There's others in the room inquiring. And also I once, I remember as a 16-year-old, came to church for the first time, inquiring and seeking and saying, oh, is there a God and did he make all of this and what does this mean for me? So maybe for you the reason why there isn't a sense of awe or praise or worship is you're not actually sure there's a God and that's okay. 
Maybe for some of you, there's something in your own creation. There's something in your own life that is dissatisfying. There's something you wish was made differently. And that's hard for you. And that's okay if you're there too. Perhaps some of you just don't see it. You're like, that is a rock. (laughs) Cool, right? (laughs) There's some water. That tree is okay, right? And, um, and, and so perhaps for some of you, you just, you're, you're not seeing it. And throughout this series, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have an awakening to the greatness of God through creation. And so each week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a different thing, and then we're going to show how that thing points towards God, faith, and life, and everything in between. And, uh, and one of the things that I hope is that as we look at these things, we begin to see the sacred in the simple. I almost called this series Sacred Simple. Finding sacred in simple things. Finding sacredness, the divine, through simple things. But today, as we continue the series and, and move out of our introduction here, I want to focus in on one particular thing. It's a very large thing. In fact, it's a thing that we could not live without. And it's very convenient and wasn't planned. I won't even pretend that I planned it. Uh, That today, you know, just a few days after Earth Day, we're talking about the Earth. (laughs) We're talking about the Earth. And, uh, And, you know, what an incredible place that we get to live. It's an important place to start if you think about it. I was recently watching a Netflix uh, documentary, and it was talking about SpaceX. And for the very first time ever, we sent civilians into space, like not NASA astronauts, but civilians. Uh, and, uh, And I was just struck. Because in these SpaceX spaceships, they actually can open up the entire, um, like, top of the rocket that they're in. And it's just a big 360-degree kind of view window that they can look out of. And so for the first time as well, rather than looking through a tiny window, uh, they, they were looking through the largest window and beholding the Earth. The Earth. And spoiler alert, it's round. Just in case, <laughs> you know, it's round. Unless you're like, oh, wait, no, they, now nah, they got Netflix. It's, it's all part of it, okay, right? No, I'm just kidding. But um, they were beholding just this incredible planet that we live in, that we live in. Our Earth, in a sense, is our very own spaceship. You ever thought about this? Hurling around the sun, you know, at, at at, uh, sorry, 107,000 kilometers per hour. To put that in perspective, the fastest jet plane that we have can only go 3,500 uh, kilometers per hour. So it's significantly faster. Um, you know, Earth, to our knowledge, is the only place that intelligent, advanced life can live in this universe. We have theories, and perhaps they will discover another place that we can go and, I don't know, uh, it's build a civilization, perhaps. But for now, this is it. Other than our shared humanity, the one thing all of us have in common is this place that we dwell. It's this planet that we live in. It's the air that we breathe. A special place in the universe, the crown jewel of our solar system, the only place, the only place we got. And the question we're asking is this, did God make this this thing? Did God make this planet? Did God make the earth? Is he truly, as the scriptures say, the makers of the heaven 
and the earth. The Bible seems to think so. The Psalms and in many other places speak to God being the source of creation for this planet. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The earth is God's and everything that is in it. The world and all who live in it. And as we read in Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth. The scriptures are clear. They believe that God is creator, designer, architect, and maker of all things in this, this universe that we know. But why would God create the earth? What would motivate him to do such a thing? Some have hypothesized that God couldn't help himself. He was like a fountain, so full of life and joy, he began to bubble up. And before he knew it, he just started creating out of his creativity, out of his divine mind. Things began to happen. It's a very artsy kind of thought and perspective. But I think it was more intentional than that. Some have suggested that it was created to make a display case for his glory, for his goodness, for his creativity. As the psalmist said, God's marvelous intelligence and creative creativity became visible to us through the things that he made. Consider for a moment the God who made the Grand Canyon, the God who made tropical fish. Okay, I'm a big fan of fish. I've had fish tanks all my life, right? The God who made African cichlids. Wow. Incredible color and diversity, right? The one who created rainbows. He also created marvelous flowers. The diversity of colors and textures and patterns in this world is mind-bending. It displays his creativity, his diversity, his intelligence, his complexity. It teaches us about the character and the person of God. Thirdly, Paul would tell us this, that God created the world and everything in it to point to us who are created beings of his existence. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us this, for ever since the world was created, God, having seen the earth and the sky, through everything God has made, they can see his invisible qualities and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is telling us that through natural revelation, through beholding a mountain, through looking at the incredible night sky outside of the city, uh, right through, <laughs> they, they look at God's divine attributes. Look at his invisible qualities. We have all whispered in our soul, and even long before I was a believer, there must have been someone who made all this. There must have been someone. St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo said this, the gifts of God in creation are like a boat that take us back to our homeland, a means of transportation that, that can be celebrated but never mistaken for the destination itself. He is saying the gift points the giver. So listen, the next time you, take a, you get a big scoop of ice cream at Rocky Point Ice Cream or Vashti Rose, your favorite flavor, you taste the flavors. The next time you sit down for brunch at the Hard Bean Brunch Co., you have those incredible waffle wings. That's what? 
The next time you, you, you sip an IPA at Yellow Dog or you have an Americano at Black Sugar, right? The next time you hike the Dias Vista or you're walking through Burt Flynn Park or you're kayaking and canoeing or riding a boat through the inlet, praise God who created these things. These things are meant to point us to something sacred. They are not the destination. They are not the destination of our praise. They're actually supposed to lead us to a higher power, to a greater God. And our response should be, wow, God, praise you, the God who made all things. But let me hit pause. Because once again, some of you are not sure that God made this. And that is fair. In our day, in our age, and uh, many of us, as we've grown up and we've gone to university, we've gone to high school, we as a church do not ignore science, deny science, or look the other way on science. We don't point fingers and say, oh, they're out to get us. I believe that actually science is discovering the way in which God made things. And science is also evolving itself. There are things that we used to think about the universe or the world 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and now we think very differently, and we probably will another 100 years from now. Science is not the enemy. But what I'm not here today to tell you is this. The Bible says it, so just believe. Not even for those of you who call yourselves like believers. You've for a long time, perhaps you may even be deconstructing or struggling with the idea that God is creator. You're struggling to reconcile what you see in science with what you believe through faith in your heart and mind. And that's okay. I believe that we said for a long time, just believe, just believe. And that led, that led thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, young people to walk away from the church. That's not what we're doing here today. Faith is without sight, but I do believe that there are good reasons to believe the things that we are saying. There are good reasons to believe that it's not just reasonable, that it's not just plausible, but it's actually highly likely that there is a God, an intelligent mind who is behind it all. But belief in God in recent years is thought to be just left for the small-minded, the simpletons, uh, those who have been indoctrinated from a young age, the, the uneducated fools. But it is wild to note that some of the most prolific modern scientists, some of the most uh, brilliant minds of the last 500 years were theists and more than that followers of Jesus who believed that as they, they studied the things of the world, it pointed them to a creator and to a God and they placed their belief and faith in him. I want you to think of Newton and Kepler and Galileo and Copernicus and Faraday and Calvin and Pastor including modern scientists like Francis Collins, who mapped out the three billion letters of the human genome. He, as he, he looked at the human genome, he looked at the playbook, the instruction manual, the map of humanity, of what creates human beings, as he looked at DNA, it led him to a point where he placed his faith in a creator, in a creator. He placed his faith in something bigger than himself. He was one of the greatest minds of our time. You see, belief in God is not something for simpletons. But 
why should you believe? You might be asking. I want to speak to a few of those apologetics today. Apologetics is simply to make a defense. It's to make a defense for the things that we believe. Peter, in his letter, he says, he says, listen, we should always be ready to make a defense for the hope that we have within us. And so today, I want to spend some time as we consider, both as an encouragement to those of us who believe, but also as evidence, perhaps, for those of you who are inquiring, of the existence of God and the fact that he is the creator of all things. There's a few apologetics I want to walk through with us. The first is this, beauty. The second is the fine-tuning of the universe. Thirdly, we have cause and effect. And fourthly, it's just the unlikeliness of it all. I, I, I promise we're, we will only be here another two hours. Um, I'm just no, I'm going to quickly walk through some of these things and, and then point us to some resources if we'd like to uh, inquire a little bit more. The first apologetic I want to speak to today is this, is, is the fact that things are beautiful. The fact that things are beautiful. I have a few pictures here. A picture of our planet. I've got a picture here of, of mountains, incredible mountains, of flowers on mountainsides. It's like, look at that, right? It's just absolutely incredible. I think of the beauty of my, my young daughter when she was first born, right? Little Emmy. Just incredible beauty, overwhelmed. I think of the beauty I see in my wife. I think of the beauty I see in the world. I think of the beauty uh, just all around us, all around us. One thing scientists cannot explain is if this is all a result of just randomness in our universe. It was all just a lucky draw of the lottery that brought about life. Why are things beautiful? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not completely ignorant. There are some things that are beautiful for a purpose. Uh, flowers are beautiful to attract bees so that they will pollinate and spread. Uh, you know, animals will be beautiful to attract mates. There are purposes, perhaps, why things would evolve, why things would, uh, at, le at the very least, microevolution. Uh, to, to bring about, you know, attraction. So that does make sense. But why is a mountain beautiful? And why is a sunrise beautiful? And why is it that there's just incredible beauty? Beauty is not logical outside of the fact that, that, that perhaps there is a creator who wanted things to be made that was wonderful for our eyes to see. It's a very simple apologetic but it's one that, that, that strikes us as we think about it. Why is it that a smile lights up a room? Or why is it that just a white sand beach with shells is just so enticing? Would it make sense that maybe the things that surround us are beautiful actually for, the, for a singular purpose? To bring, or maybe there's probably multiple purposes. To bring glory to God. To bring enjoyment to the beholder. Beauty. Secondly, fine-tuning. There's such incredible fine-tuning in the universe. Let me just hit this for a moment. It's incredible as you look at the created world. Everything is so particularly tuned to the exact place it needs to be to sustain and, and, and enable life. And not just life but intelligent, advanced, incredible, diverse uh, life. I think of the placement of the earth, 
We're going to put up a picture here that is going to be a little confusing as you first see it. Perhaps you recognize this photo. Uh, this, this photo was taken on February 14th, 1990, just a, a month and a bit before I was born. And uh, on NASA's Voyager 1, about 3 billion miles or 6 billion kilometers from the sun. And it captures this photo of a ray of sunlight. And they're right in the middle of the sunlight. Thank you, team. That wasn't rehearsed, okay? Uh, it's like, thank you. Right in the middle of this ray of sunlight is a pale blue dot. That's Earth. It's our home. It's where we live. It's this incredible placement of our planet in the perfect place in our solar system. Not too far away from the sun where we would just freeze and everything would be frozen and, and, and Arctic or like Winnipeg, right? <laughs> in the middle of January, <laughs> all year round. Not too close to the sun where, where things would burn up and there would be no possibility of light. Imagine like heat dome but on steroids, okay? Our planet sits in the absolute perfect place in our solar system to sustain life. So another thing, we have this incredible moon. It's a very unusual moon. It's, in, it's unusual for its size. It's unusual for its distance from the planet. But this moon is incredibly important to our existence. It's not just to look at in the night sky. This moon uh, contributes towards gravity. This moon contributes towards the rotation of our planet. This moon regulates our tides and the seasons. Without the moon, we'd be done. There would be no life. And there are 25 I guess 23 other factors just like these, that if any of them was off just slightly, there would be no life on this planet. There would be no life in our known universe. An atheist's best explanation for the unlikelihood of fine-tuning is this, is that they turn to the argument that there is a multiverse, something that Marvel, the Marvel world has started to explore recently, something that our scientists have theorized about. And their best argument is this, there's a multiverse, there's thousands if not millions of various different um, universes, and we just so happen to be the lucky ones as they rolled the dice to have life. But here's the, the question I would have for any, anyone who submitted that argument against fine-tuning. I would say, well, who created the multiverse, right? Fine, we, we started with just God creating one universe. Now who created the multiverse? There must be a creator. And this leads us into our, our, our third point, is that cause and effect, cause and effect. The fact that there is something rather than nothing, something, something rather than nothing. Godfried uh, Lebanese, I, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, he said this, why is there something rather than nothing? He was a philosopher and mathematician in the 17th century. You see, in order for something to be created, in order for something to happen, in order for anything to come into being, there must be a cause for the effect. Nothing happens for no reason. We know this. It was not creation ex nihilo. Creation, it, it was not just nothing. 
It was creation through something. There was an effect. At one point, our philosophers believed that the universe was eternal. Now our science has clearly told us that there was a beginning. And so the question is, what caused that beginning? What was the cause behind the effect? And if you ask uh, a scientist that question, here's what they'll tell you. They'll say, we don't know. But science will discover the answer to that in the future. And so we'll find out soon. And it's a good answer until you really consider that it is actually a faith statement. It's as big of a faith statement as it is to say, believe there's a creator. Oh, we'll find out the answers eventually. My, my, our science will deliver us the answer. It's a faith statement. I think there's something we can hit pause for a moment that creation, uh, sorry, Christians or, or theists are not the only ones who have faith. In fact, I think it takes incredible faith to, not, to believe in, in nothing, to believe that this all came out of just random acts of chaos in our universe. There must be a cause and there must be an effect. And for me, I'm just saying, and for some of us, the best explanation is a creator. Now, finally, the unlikeliness of it all. <laughs> the unlikeliness of it all. Um, there's a few examples in this next section given to me by my friend John Morrison. He was my youth pastor. He went to Oxford for apologetics. He wrote a few books. In his books, he talks about Roger Penrose, an Oxford mathematician, that he said the probability of life coming to be with the exact constants needed for sustained life is 10 to the power of 123. All you math people are like, whoa. I, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a number, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know what... So let me put this in perspective for us, all right? Let me put this in perspective for us. William Lane Craig, Christian apologist at a Biola University in California. He was sitting down with my friend John Morrison. They were having a conversation, and he dropped this number on John, right? He said, John said, wow, that sounds like a big number. <laughs> Can you help me understand what that number means? And here's what William Lane Craig said. He said, imagine this. You've been kidnapped Okay, you've been kidnapped, and your kidnappers take you to a very large warehouse. And within that warehouse, there are billions upon billions of ping pong balls. <laughs> right? So we can put up this image here. And, and your captors, they look at you and they say, listen, we have a, 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 a mechanical arm which will mix up all of these ping pong balls. And we will take this one black ping pong ball and we will throw it into the middle of the pile and then we'll get the arm to stir it up. And then we're going to press the button and this arm is going to go in. And if it selects the black ball out of billions of ping pong balls, you'll live. So, you know, the, the guy is there, the captor, he's, oh, he's saying his last, you know, rites and prayers and he's asking God, right, to spare him. They hit the button... The mechanical arm comes, it stirs the balls, it goes in to the ping pong balls. And lo and behold, a black ping pong ball comes out. The captors are frustrated. They say, listen, we, we didn't tell you something. We didn't tell you something. This needs to happen. 
another four times, right? So they take the black ball, they throw it into the pile of billions of, of ping pong balls, they stir it up, the mechanical arm goes in, and out comes a black ping pong ball. The guy is thinking, yes, Jesus loves me, right? He's just, they say, well, it needs to happen three more times. They throw it in, again, out comes the black, again, and oh, here he is, the last time, he is, he's, he's, he's in a position of worship at this time, right? And out comes, <laughs> you guessed it, the black ping pong ball, right? <laughs> it's a funny way of putting it. William Lane Craig told it with that much energy, but he's a little bit stiffer. So he's, he was, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen him before, but it's, it's very animated apparently, right? But, <laughs> but kind of robotic. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he's such a fun guy. I got to meet William Lane Craig actually, and he's a brilliant mind. One of the best, if you're looking for Christian apologetics uh, on, on just about anything. He debates some of the world's greatest minds and atheists and, and brings to light the, the Christian worldview. But it's just about as unlikely as that, <laughs> that the universe would come to be. I wouldn't be surprised if even this small sample of ping pong balls here, that we could even select the black one uh, twice out of that pile randomly. It's possible, but it is certainly not probable. It's not probable. These are a few apologetics I wanted to share with us today. And if you're still struggling, you want to dig a little bit deeper, this is my uh, friend Johnny Moe, uh, his book called Clear Minds, Dirty Feet. You can get it on Amazon. I've got another copy here if you'd like it. Um, and uh, it, he has some incredible, like in English, you know, apologetics for you to, that, that can really help you as you're navigating and digging into these things. So what does this mean? I'm going to conclude. Is God truly the God of all things? And if so, how should we respond? We should respond in worship. We should respond in praise. So what? What does this mean? We should, we should give our praise to the creator, to the God of all things. I want to remind us for a moment that God didn't have to make a material world. He could have made a purely spiritual one. Much like many of our depictions of heaven. But no, he, he, he makes a physical world in which we get to enjoy, that we get to live in. He gives us taste and smell and sight and, and sound. We get to experience the world through our senses. We get to experience life. And I recognize that some of you maybe wish that he created a spiritual world. You wish you didn't have to scrape your knee or experience that pain but you also couldn't feel the warm embrace of another. If it wasn't a physical world, you couldn't taste the flavor of your favorite sushi roll. <laughs> the warm grass on your neck, the heat of the sun, the experiences that you have. We should appreciate it we should appreciate its creator. C.S. Lewis put it this way, 
He says we're called to be people who follow the sunbeams back to the sun so we can enjoy the source of its goodness, the things that God made. We're called to follow the sunbeams back to the sun that we can enjoy the source of its goodness. My brother-in-law, he, he, uh, his name is Cam also. He loves to cook. We were just in Calgary a few weeks ago, and every, he sent us the menu ahead of time with wine pairings, wine pairings, okay? I'm not a wine guy, but you paired this with the meal? Okay, I'll try it. And he, he comes up with these exquisite dishes and just incredible bursts of flavor. And if my response was, this gave me sustenance, my body will turn this to energy now. First, I would need a lesson in social skills. <laughs> but secondly, it just would not be appreciative, right? And you can see he's sitting on the edge of his seat. He's wondering, dude, are you enjoying what I've made for you? Can you see why I've paired this? Can you see this thing that I've created? Do you enjoy it? He's looking for a response. Now, God doesn't need our response. He's not some, you know, insecure deity who's wanting worship. But it is a natural response, I would say. A natural response to the fact that, wow, you gave us all this? Thank you. I praise you. This should be our response. You know, the same way the psalmist in, in Psalm 104:24. what does he say? He says, wow, look at that diversity of the things that you've made, God. Look at the variety of the things you've made. In wisdom, you have made it all. In Psalm 104, verse 33, he says, he says, God, I praise you. I will praise God to my last breath. Let all that I am praise the Lord for all these incredible things that you've made that I've been just writing about and talking about. This is the point of this series. If God is the maker of all things, we should recognize that and we should look at his purposes in the things that he has made. Secondly, if the earth is the Lord's, we play by his rules. We play by his rules. And he told us to care for it. Port Moody, he told us to care for it. And we get this better than some cities do. The earth is the Lord's. He told us to tend to it, to care for it, to, to not just take and pillage all of its resources for our own consumer good but to care for it, to be fruitful and multiply, to love it, to be stewards of it. This is an implication. We should care about things like climate change and the warming of our oceans and deforestation and its extinction. We should care about the planet around us, not just because they are things, but because they are God's things. And he has called us to care and cultivate and protect these things. And some of you think, oh, He's eaten it up, right? He's bought into. No, this is straight from Genesis. We were called to govern it, to love it, to lead it, to care for it, to cultivate and protect it, to actually help it to flourish. I don't think we're doing that. Thirdly, if this is true, you are his creation. You are his creation. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. Even if you were that fourth kid, right? <laughs> you have a purpose, right? It's like, oh, you know, maybe your parents said that to you. It's like, ah, oh, we didn't mean to. God did, right? <laughs> 
You're his creation. He's made you. I think of that scene in, in, um, in Toy Story, right, where, where Buzz is, he, or sorry, Woody is grappling with the fact that he's just a toy, right? All right? And then he says, no, but you're, you're not just a toy, right? You're, you're his toy. He's talking about the, his, his owner. He says, your name is written on the sole of his shoe. His name, the creator's name is written on your very soul. You are not an accident. You are here for a purpose and a reason. God created you. He made you. He loves you. He knows you. He's obsessed. He has every detail of your life written in a book. He takes notes every day. Acts chapter 17 says this, in, in him we live and we move and we have our being. It's true. And finally, and I'll invite up the band and I'll invite forward the communion servers. Finally, what this tells us is this, is that you are loved. You are loved. You're incredibly loved by a God of love who made all things and made you and made me. You are loved. I think of the most famous scripture in all of history where it says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. God did not just love you. He didn't just say that he loved you, but he declared as we remembered on Good Friday and Easter Sunday that he loved you through his act on the cross where the God of this universe said you are more than a thing. You are a person. You are a created being. You are someone who I know and love. And because you are far from me and because you I have, have, have chosen to reject me, I will pursue and come after you in love. I will become a created thing. I will become a human being. I will put on flesh. I will live among you. And more than that, I will die a death for you that you could be made right with God. If this is true, friends, if God is the maker of all things, he loves you. God loves you you. And if I could go through the room and look at each of you right in the eyes and say, God loves you. God loves you. How do I know you're here? How do I know he died for you? How do I know he is with you? How do I know? Oh, man. Jesus loves you. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to come to the table as we do every week as an act of remembrance of the love of God for us. Thank you, God. Let's pray. God, you are the maker of all things. You are the creator of all things. And Lord, I pray that um, today, that God, we would sense your presence right now. This would be more than just head games and knowledge, apologetics. But these ideas that are in our mind, like some of us know that you've created all things. Some of us today are beginning to believe that you are the maker of all things. And I pray that that knowledge would begin to move from our heads right now to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Minister to us, I ask right now. <laughs> this is more than or like just speaking and talking today. You are the living God in this place. Spirit of God, minister to our souls. 
Help us to believe these things are true. Help us believe that, God, that you made me, that you created us. Help us to see your fingerprint in creation. Help us to believe the great love that you have for us. Spirit of God, impress it upon our souls right now, I pray. My words are insufficient. I need your presence to move in this place right now. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.